Well, good afternoon. Are you all well? You're all well online? Very good. Well, look, um, uh, Pastor Craig has already alluded to the family dynamic uh, in ours. So we have, uh, we have four children, uh, Sarah, Peter, Lucy, and Charlotte, and uh, Sarah is 16. Uh, Peter is 16, and Lucy is 16. Anyone care to guess how old Charlotte is? 16. Okay, so um, if you were to look on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever you would find out that Judith is referred to as the quad mommy and I am the quad daddy, okay? So our only claim to fame is that we are parents of 16-year-old quadruplets, okay? And uh, when we announced that for the first time, okay, excellent. That, that has never happened before, okay? It's, it's usually shock. It's like, did I hear that? Did he say that was... Uh, yeah, that, that's right. So all the men gasp and all the women just go wonder, how, how, how could that happen? So that's been what we've been doing for the past 16 years. And uh, in our part time, we've been running a church called Cornerstone for a while. Uh, and then uh, in 2018, uh, we jumped uh, from uh, Cornerstone, leading that, the, the, the church there, into a, a role with Christian Churches Ireland. And that is a network of around 50 churches all across the island. And uh, we've been preaching their leadership training all sorts of things, and it's been an incredible thing. The church is doing well in Ireland. You need to know. Is that okay? You've got to be encouraged. You're part of something very dynamic, something that is growing, something that is making an incredible difference, and you are part of that. So anyway, look, it's a joy for us to be here. I will allude to a little bit of our story with the kids in, uh, in, the, in the talk today, but to get us started, if you have a Bible with you or on your tablet or on your phone, and the words will be on the screen, uh, for those who are watching online as well, I want you to go to Luke chapter three. And a bit of a history lesson, just a ton of names basically I'm going to give to you, which hopefully then will make more sense as we unpack it uh, over the next little while this afternoon. So Luke chapter 3 and the first three verses. And forgive perhaps my pronunciation of all the itises here. We'll we'll, we'll do our best to to get through it. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 3. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate uh, was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eitria, there I go, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John. This is John the Baptist, everyone, a son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Can we just pray? So, Father, we pray today, Lord, for this collision. We pray, Lord, for a collision with your word and your Holy Spirit, because we know this, that when your word collides with your spirit, something of the kingdom is is built within our lives that changes us forever. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would change us. We give you permission, Lord, to dabble with our thinking and to realign our our faith and our hearts and, Lord, reposition us for all of the good things and your purposes and plans on the earth. And so we dare to believe, Lord, on a Sunday in the middle of July that this is no ordinary day. This is no ordinary service that, Lord, you have brought me here. Uh, Lord, you have positioned me deliberately to speak to me. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, Come now with the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, and let's have a divine collision in this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, look, the kids were born in uh, June, 23rd of June, 2005. And uh, a couple of weeks or a few weeks up prior to that date, the, Judith was on bed rest in the Royal Victoria Hospital, just there with her feet up. <laughs> anyway, and uh, I, I would... 
<laughs> yes, you see, I'm going to get necked on the way home. And, uh, and I will be traveling down to visit her from Londonderry. Okay, now I'm going to say Derry throughout, okay, because I forget to put the London bit. But when you hear me say Derry, I want you to imagine London is there as well, all right? And so uh, I was traveling up and down from Derry, and because she was in Belfast, and I'm from Ballinhinch originally, my parents are still there. When it came to the weekend, I would stay with my folks and travel that shorter distance um, from Ballinhinch to the Royal. And I was praying one day uh, in my old sister's bedroom, and asking God to turn up and asking God to, to speak to me about the kids. Because up until, you know, we found out we were pregnant, Judith was pregnant in, in January. This was now June. And God really hadn't been very specific with me of, you know, if it was going to be okay, how it was going to land, whatever. We were doing lots of faith things and enjoying the journey. But Judith and the Lord had this kind of, you know, favorite thing going on. And Judith would pray and God would answer. And she'd open the word of God and the verses would leap out. And this was kind of her story. Like the night before the kids were born, my wife put on a Hillsong song and fell fast asleep the day before they were born, okay? Five o'clock in the morning, I'm washing windows, okay? My woman is a woman of faith and calm that you've never believed, all right? Anyway, I was reading out of Isaiah chapter 60 this day, about 10 days before the kids were born, and everybody, lo and behold, verses 21 and 22 leapt off the page. And I want to share them with you and with everyone online today. Here's what I read. It says, They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. It says, I am the Lord and in its time I will do it swiftly. And so when I read these verses, they were really illuminated for me. They leapt up and even run down the stairs to my mom like a mad thing. And I said, mom, look, there's the word of God. God has spoken at last and yay, and the kids are coming soon. And she's doing the day. She's going, okay, head the ball. Okay, that's good. Crazy thing. I'd lost it. But the relief and the, the faith that began to rise up was incredible. And then everyone in 10 days, they were all born, okay? And so in the morning of the 23rd of June, in four minutes, okay, our life completely changed. Sarah was born at 23 minutes past nine, and she was two pounds 13. Peter was born a minute later, he was two pounds six. Then Lucy was born a minute later, and she was two pound 11. And then Charlotte, born two minutes later, she didn't want to arrive at all. I'm staying. And she was the smallest, and she was two pound five. So in four minutes, everything shifts in your life, okay? Now, I want us to fast forward. I want us to fast forward to November 2008. Kids are in bed. Judith is out with some friends, and I'm in the house of my own as such, and I'm watching TV. It's darkness. Everything is wonderful. You know, man, you got a minute to ourselves. Fantastic stuff, okay? Phone goes 10 o'clock at night. Who could that be? Why is the phone ringing? I've got a night, and the phone is ringing. Pick it up, Andy McCourt. By this stage, I was the assistant pastor at Cornerstone, and Andy was uh, the senior pastor. There's the boss. So the pastor's ringing you at 10 p.m. at night. Never a good call. He hasn't got a word of knowledge for you. It's, it's got a message on the other end of that conversation. So I pick it up. He says, hello, hello, are you there? I says, well, I'm talking to you. I'm here. And I'm thinking in my mind, why are you ringing? I have a night to myself. I didn't say that, but this is where I was going. And he said, is Judith there? I said, she's not. Could she be there? I says, well, I suppose me and Isabel, that's Andy's wife, we're going to come out and see you. 
And I'm like, well, listen, I mean, you've got to think this through. The pastor's phoning you at 10 o'clock. Then he wants to visit. Then he's going to bring his family with him. And then he wants to get Judith from wherever she is to the house. Anyway, Judith arrives. Andy and Isabel, they land out 10, 30, quarter to 11 at this stage, all the way to announce to us that they were leaving Cornerstone and to go and take over from Paul and Priscilla at CFC at that stage. And that would we come on and be the senior pastors of Cornerstone City Church. And like uh, Craig was saying earlier on, we said we'd pray about it, which is code for no. And uh, we said we'd pray about it. And of course, then we did pray about it. And the Lord began to speak to us. And then out of Isaiah 49, I got this little verse and I got many other things, but he said this in verse three, you are my servant Israel. I put Brian in there in whom I will display my splendor. And so I got that line splendor from Isaiah 60, then in Isaiah 49. And other things began to put into place, and Judith got words from God, and so, yeah, we said, okay, we're going to take this step into ministry, step into leadership at a new level. Now, I tell you these stories, one in 2005 and one in 2008, for a reason, okay? And listen to me here. In 2005, during the pregnancy, in that moment, God sent his word to encourage me through a moment, okay? But in 2008, God sent his word to activate me into mission. Two different things. To, to new levels of serving his purposes, to new levels of, of doing things and going places and imagining stuff for him that I could never do on my own. And the reality is for some of you in the room and for some of you watching online today, you are not so much waiting on a word from God to encourage you through a moment. Right now, some of you are waiting for a word from God to activate you to the next level of serving Him. And you can feel it. You almost sense it. There's a sense of straining and, and calling and there's an impatience and unsettling in your spirit and in your soul. If we look at John, at our, at our text today, and look in verses 2 and 3, it says this, that the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Then it says, then he went into the country around the Jordan. So John the Baptist is in the desert. Everyone, he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's filled with the call of God. He's rammed stuffed with the gifts of God. But the one thing in this moment he lacked was the green light, the go from God. And then the Bible says one day, don't you love the one day? Then one day the word of the Lord came to John and Boom! God activates him. God words moved him, released him into the next level of serving the Lord. Now, very briefly, we will see this in the Old Testament with Abraham. You can read that story in the early parts of Genesis, but in the first verse of chapter 12, it reads this, that the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to go from your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will send you. Now, if we go on to verse 4, and I love the simplicity of this hope. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. Incredible stuff. So Abraham's in the place and he receives this word from God. The Lord activates him into new levels of mission. And we know the foundational story that Abraham plays in our faith and even in our story today. If we zoom on to Acts chapter 9, you can imagine with me the call of Saul or Paul. He's on the road to Damascus, everybody. The Bible says he's hissing murderous threats. 
Jesus turns up flashing light, boom, onto the ground, off the donkey, as it were. He's kind of blinded, disorientated. And then Jesus begins to speak to him. Firstly, Paul says this in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? It says, Saul asked. Then Jesus replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Incredible words. Imagine that. Imagine Paul, the one who's going out to kill the church, and then the the founder of the church turns up and says, hey, I want to activate and change your life. You've had God encourage you before. You've had God break through for you before, yes? Absolutely. You've had God provide for you. You've seen him heal in your life and restore. But right now, and I mean now in this moment, in this season, you are waiting for a word from God to activate you to the next level. You know it. And the truth is, you've had activating words before. Words that have pitched you in a different direction. Words that have challenged your faith. Words that have seen you leave one place and go to another. All of us have certain degrees and elements of that story in our life. And the truth is, that season has now ended for you. And there is a new word of activation prevailing before you. And like John the Baptist, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You know what spiritual gifts you carry. You love the Lord Jesus, but the one thing you know you don't have yet is the green light, is the go from God. It feels like you're in the desert. It feels like you're in the wilderness, and you are waiting. Well, I want to encourage you today that God sees you're waiting I want to encourage you that it is not over for you and that you have not missed the call of God or the voice of God. And today I want to give you two or three little tools that will help you navigate the space you're in. What's the space? Well, the space is the place that you occupy now, okay, versus the space you'll be in when God activates you. And it's so important, everyone, that we know how to manage this space. Because if we become impatient while we wait, you know, we could maybe lose a little bit of faith, lose momentum, give up all hope and think it is over for us. And so I want to encourage you with two or three little things that I hope will help you navigate this space so that when the moment comes and God brings a fresh word to your life, And I don't care how old you are or how young you are or where you are in the world today. Get ready for a fresh activating word from God. And as we wait for that, let's do these three things. I want you to remember this. Number one, that when God is ready to move you, he will get his word to you. I want to say it again, that when God is ready to move you, he'll get his word to you. Very often we're more ready to move than God is ready to move us. Isn't that right? That's been certainly my experience as a man. Patience, overload, not so much, okay? But when God's ready to move you today, all right, he will get his word to you. I read this little story in 2003 as part of a cross-Canadian Chinese scientific research project. They wanted to discover everyone once and for all, could babies in the womb really identify the voice of their mothers before 
they were born. And so the scientists did this. They tested 60 women. And what they did was they, they, they got them to read a poem out loud and they recorded the poem. Then they divided the 60 ladies into two groups of 30 and they played the poems back, okay? Half the babies heard the recording of their own mom. The other half heard the recording, but of a voice not of their mother. This is what they learned. In both cases, Hearing the poem caused a change in the heart rate within the baby, all right? The heart rate rose among those who heard their own mother's voice. And the heart rate fell among those who heard a voice other than their own mom's. And they reckoned that the heart rate slowed because the baby was trying to figure out who was speaking. They simply did not recognize the voice that wasn't their mom's. And so the heart rate of the babies who recognized their own parent rose. And what I want to encourage you with this today is that no matter how many voices try to reach you, there is only one voice that will raise you. No matter how many voices try to reach you and clamor for your attention, there is only one voice that can raise you. In Luke 3, verse 1 and 2, we read a bunch of names. I will just read the names rather than the whole script again. But we got Tiberius Caesar, and then we Pontius Pilate. We've Herod the, of Galilee, then his brother Philip, and then the other brother Lysanias. And then we have the priesthood, everyone. We have Annas, we have Cephas, and then we have John himself. And he's in the wilderness, okay? And I want you, if you can imagine with me, John in the center of a bull's eye target, okay? And imagine the various rings around. Him. He's surrounded by noise, everyone, much like we are today, aren't we? We are surrounded by noise. We have at the start of the text the voice of Tiberius Caesar. This for me is the ring of culture. He was surrounded by the Roman culture of the day, an imperial imposing foreign force surrounding him. Then we jump in a ring and we have the voice of the tetrarchs. This is the voice of politics. And you know, We don't have to be too far from home to hear the voice of politics, especially in July. There's always something hot at Stormont. Yes, always. Either the voice of politics is always saying something in our part of the world. Then we take another leap in on the little sort of target board. We have the voice of the high priest. And for me, everyone, this is the voice of religion. And then we have John and, and the wilderness. And I think probably, everyone, the loudest voice of them all. The deafening roar of isolation, of limitation, of trial. All of you know what it is to have personal circumstances that somehow in seasons in our lives can scream louder than anything else. So imagine with me, John, in the wilderness, surrounded by Roman culture, surrounded by compromised and broken politics, surrounded by a religion uh, that's legalistic, that's full of pride and burdensome. And then we have the drama of his personal circumstances, the drama of the wilderness, the drama of waiting and wondering and whether or not he has missed God. And then the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came through to John in the wilderness. The word of God 
cuts through the Roman culture, cuts through broken politics, breaks through burdens religion, breaks through his wilderness experience, and John receives it. And what you need to know today is that when God is ready to move you, regardless of all the world around you, he will get his word to you. You will not miss it. You will not deny it. You will not double guess yourself. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're waiting on God, if you're waiting for a word and you wonder, have I missed it? Have I missed it? And and I'm being disobedient now that God's ahead of me waiting for me to catch up. Let me tell you, you'll know when God speaks to you. You'll know because he will break through every set of noise and clutter in your life. The Bible reminds us, you know what, that God's sends his word, and it does not, it cannot, and it will not return to him until it fulfills the purpose for which he brings that word. Amen? So let's be encouraged that when God's ready to move you, he will, regardless, get his word to you. Second thing is this, that when God moves you, he moves all of you. What do you say all? All. All. Excellent. He moves all of you. And so when God activates you, he flicks the switch on three little things, okay? The first thing he activates is your journey, and we're going to call that steps, okay? The next thing that he activates is your uh, anointing and your gifts on the things that you carry for him, and we're going to call that spiritual smarts, because I want them to all start with the letter S, okay? And then he activates, finally, your purpose, and we're going to call that your story. So when God activates you, when he gets you ready to move and the word comes, he activates your steps, your spiritual smarts, your gifts and anointing, and then he activates your story, which is your purpose. I think one of the the great dramas and adventures in the Old Testament has to be Moses. Would you agree? That whole redemptive narrative and Moses at the burning bush and all of that. And in Exodus chapter 4, we, well, 3 and 4 really is the journey of how God activates Moses himself. And when we go to Exodus chapter 4, we get a sense where things are building. Moses is getting ready to go back into Egypt. He's had that little tete-a-tete with God, that little kind of row. Not me, send someone else, etc., etc. Finally, Moses relents, of course, and he's going. And we see in Exodus chapter 4, in a, in a great verse, little verse 20, a normal verse, a verse that you got to, you know, you, you kind of smooth on past a little bit. But it says this, it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. Like I say, fairly normal sort of a verse. Until you remember what the wilderness meant for Moses and what Egypt meant for Moses. Egypt was the place of mistake. It was the place of regret. The wilderness was a place of hiding. It was a place of, he might have thought, punishment, a place of isolation, a place where it is all over for me. And yet here we have in this beautiful verse from the activation of Moses at the burning bush, God now starts to activate his steps. He's on the move again when he thought he would never move again. So Moses took his wife, sons, donkey, and they started back to Egypt. Then God activates his spiritual smarts, his gifting and his anointing. Watch this. In the sort of second half of Exodus 4 verse 20, it says, again, fairly normal words you'd breeze past. But it says this, and he took the staff of God in his hand. 
just a staff, a bit of stick. Before God turns up to Moses, the staff was standard material for shepherds. You would nudge the sheep, keep them safe, fight off a a lion or a bear or, or whatever you had to do, and the staff would be the thing. But when God activates Moses, suddenly the staff of Moses becomes the staff of God. The thing that Moses carries becomes anointed. And so what I want us to see is that the staff that swiped the sheep becomes the staff that parts the sea. The staff that swipes the sheep becomes the staff that brings water from a rock. The staff that swipes the sheep becomes the staff through which God orchestrates many of the redemptive plagues. And so whatever Moses was carrying, God activates. Then we see this in Exodus 2. Now we're going to go back a little bit. God activates his story. And church, this is beautiful to me. In Exodus 2 verse 10, it says that when the child grew older, and this refers to Moses, she took him, the she is Moses' sister Miriam, took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. What I want you to understand is that names are important. And in this culture, names were were prophetic. Moses' name means to draw out. And of course, someone with a name like that and and leading the people out of Egypt would be a no-brainer. He was, he knew, he knew there was something on his life. He, He lived his whole life knowing that God had something special for him to do. And it was to do with setting people free. It was to do with drawing out. It's why Moses got involved in that scuffle in Egypt that caused him to run to the desert. Can you imagine what it's like living 40 years in the desert as a result of a mistake, knowing that your name means to draw out, knowing that the best you're going to draw out is actually sheep, and then one day the Word of God comes to you and reactivates your story. And in that moment, church, By sending him back to Egypt, God connects him all the way to the prophetic word that was over him as an infant. How faithful and how good is God? So when we look at our text in Luke 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and then, boom, he went into the, all the country around the Jordan, preaching this baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And we see in these verses that when God activates John, he activates all of him. He activates his steps. He didn't get a word of God and then stay in the wilderness. Well, I like it here. I'm used to here. No, no. The Bible says that he leaves the wilderness and he goes straight into the countryside around the Jordan where people could hear his message. It's really important that when God moves you, we agree to go. 
Sometimes we get so used to our chaos, we get so used to our difficulty, we get so used to, and sometimes, quite honestly, we can have a hard time and a hard life for so long, it can define us and actually cause us to believe, well, this is who I am. No, no, you are who God says you are, and that when God moves you, I want to encourage you, let him get some fire on your feet and begin to step out from where you are. God then activates his spiritual smarts, his gifts and anointing. John carried the presence of the Holy Spirit from birth almost. And he carries this message of repentance, of baptism, this time for the Jews themselves. And without the history lesson, this was an earth-shattering, culture-changing moment. And then, beautifully, God activates the story. In Luke chapter 1, verse 47, we meet Zechariah, John's father. And he's praying over him, and he's singing over John as a baby. And verse 76 lets us in, it pulls back the curtain on that tender. Because, you know, if you've had grandchildren, or you've had kids, you know, and, and as you rock them as a baby, well, for us it was like this. Two in each arm, trying to feed them. Um... You, you would pray over them and you would sing over them and you get, you know, wafting an emotion and it's, it's a wonderful thing. And in verse 76, the Holy Spirit just allows us to peek past that intimate moments. And John is being prophesied over by Zechariah, his father. I'm sure mommy said nice things over him, but it was his father. And I said, you're my child will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And so when John is older and he meets the Pharisees a little bit later on, they rock up to him and they say, who are you really? And John turns and he says this, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. How does he know? Who told John that's what he is? A believing parent. Prophesied over him as an infant. This is who you are. Ten days before the children were born, I read the scriptures to you. Isaiah 60 verse 22 or 21. And at the end of that, it turns and it says, The least of you will be a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. Charlotte, as I said earlier, was born last. She was 9.27 a.m. That's right. She was two pounds five. She was a pound lighter than Peter. And to this day, church, you ask her, who does God say you are? She'll say this, Daddy, I am a mighty nation. How does she know? Because Judith and I have made it our business to prophesy the word of God over our children. Because I know and Judith knows there's a day in her life when God will activate the call 
And she won't need to phone me. She won't need to have a sit down with the vicar. She won't need to have a sit down with the pastor and have a team pray and worry about it. She will know because all her life it's been prophesied to her she was a mighty nation. And so when her wilderness leaving moment comes and God activates her, she will be gone in a shot because her whole life. And so I want to encourage you individually as grandparents, as parents, as you know, great-grandparents, as significant others, older cousins, whoever you are, with young people around you. Come on, get a word of God for their life. And relentlessly, even in the teenage years, you see in the teenage years when the kids seem to don't want to hear it, it's a front. Can I tell you, as someone who has four of them at 16, it is a front. And, and I make it my, and I have to have a conscious thought with R4. I will give you a kiss. And I will still hold your hand. And I still will pray over you. And I still will prophesy over you. Even though they're like, don't stop at what you. But the minute I get close, they lean further in. Don't be put off by teenage bravado. I want to encourage you, go harder and go deeper into that relationship and feed it because I tell you, that's when they need it and that's when they crave it the most. But prophesy over them. And then collectively, church, as Hope Church, you know what? You have a a beautiful spirit in this church, a beautiful heart that, that wants to matter, that wants its community to matter. And, and what if you were this voice? What if you were this voice of the one in the wilderness making way for Jesus, willing to prophesy over young people, daring to believe, to believe not in what you see, but what you're seeing in the Spirit in God. I love this idea of the, of the mobile home. Let's get that finished. That's for young people. That's for youth. That's a prophesying, disciple-making station. Yes, absolutely is. Let's get that done. Plumbers and sparks and whoever else we need. What an amazing opportunity. It's not just giving kids somewhere to go. It's shaping them. It's prophesying. It's molding. It's the Word of God. It's believing. It's positive. It's optimistic. It's hopeful. It's life-giving. So that when the Word of God turns up in their life and activates them to new levels, we get young people in Craig Avon going, I am ready to go. I'm ready to go. Final thing is this, and then I gotta go. Is that when God moves you, He's moving more than just you. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word antiambulo. It's a Latin word. I know zero Latin. This is the, the total of my Latin right here. Antiambulo. Let's break it down. Anti A N T E. That means before. Okay. Then we've ambulo. We get kind of ambulance or amble or the old prams, like a preambulator, means to walk. So if you put before and walk together as anti-ambulo, you get a Latin phrase that means before walk or before walking, okay? When you were living in Rome and you were stacked with cash, okay, you would have in your employ an anti-ambulo. This stage, okay, 
Imagination time, all right, is a busy Roman piazza, okay? And uh, there's a little sort of place you want to go to over there for some excellent Italian coffee, but it is crowded with people. And there is no way, because you're part of the Senate or part of the Roman elite, that you would soil yourself with walking through the riffraff of the day. Seriously, this is true. What you would do is, you would call your Auntie Ambulo over, and you'd go, we're going over there. And the anti-ambulo, that's all he did, but this is all he does, okay? He begins to push the crowd out of your way. So before you would walk, your anti-ambulo would make space for you. The big thing about the anti-ambulo was that when the crowd saw the anti-ambulo, they knew that his master was about to turn up. John the Baptist, everyone, was the anti-ambulo for Jesus. And can I encourage you, Hope Church, collectively and individually, you are an anti-ambulo for Jesus. That's what you do. And I know your calling will be different to mine. How that outworks in the life will be different to mine. It will be congruent with your gifts and the skills and talents God gives you, but it all boils back to the one thing, to push whatever needs pushed in society out of the way to make room for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. See, I believe this about you. I believe this about every spirit-filled follower of Jesus in the world, that when they walk into an atmosphere of fear, they can push fear out of the way and make Jesus do what Jesus does possible. I believe this about you, that when you walk into an atmosphere of hopelessness, hopelessness can be pushed away by what you carry so that the presence of Christ can come behind you and Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. I believe this about you, that when you go to Tesco tomorrow or Tuesday when they reopen and you sense something in your spirit because you are who you are and because Jesus lives not just in you but on you, when you walk into there and you sense something, you can push away hopelessness, you can push away death, you can push away fear, you can push away the impossible because every time you make room for Jesus, Jesus turns up and Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. Imagine being a church. Imagine being a collective of people who exist to be the anti-ambulo for the Lord Jesus Christ, who exists for no other reason other to push through culture and to push through politics and to push through religion and to push through our own personal circumstances so that Jesus can find a voice, so that Jesus can find a space, so that Jesus can turn up and do what only Jesus can do. I believe that for you, and I believe that for your church. I want to invite the worship guys just to come right back up. We're going to pray and respond. So I want to encourage you today. There is a moment, and you know, maybe today is the moment. Maybe it's a moment later this week, or it could be a month. It could even be a year from now, whatever it is. But there is a moment coming for you in your life where God will activate you, where there will be a word of God that will come to you 
and it will change everything about your life. Hey, you're not finished. No matter what you're going through, it's not over for you. Jesus comes to set the prisoners and the captives free. They're different. A prisoner is restrained by something they've done. A captive is restrained by someone else. Either way, Jesus sets you both free. It's not over for you. There's a word of activation coming. And I want to say this for anyone who's about to just let go of a prophetic promise that God's spoken over their life. Did I hear that right? Does that, does that still happen? Is that for me? There's a moment coming in your life, in your story, where God is going to reunite you back to that story. The prophetic promise over your life is valid. It is active. And God is going to move to activate you.